You're listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thanks for joining me. I'm glad to be back. I've been out for a few weeks and a lot has been going on. I won't be able to talk about everything, uh, but we'll try to cover the big news and especially the big litigation uh, that Judicial Watch has been pursuing and the big documents that Judicial Watch has been uncovering as a result of our litigation. Well, first up is the uh, current crisis, which is the left's assault on the Supreme Court that uh, potentially is deadly. Uh, You recall that uh, I believe uh, leftists leaked it. We don't know for sure, since they haven't figured it out yet, uh, leaked an opinion, a draft opinion, uh, that uh, if held up uh, by the majority of the court would overturn Roe versus Wade and allow the states to extend uh, the right to life uh, to unborn human beings. So the left went crazy. I'm convinced the Biden White House and Democrats in Congress were in on the leak in some fashion. And sure enough, uh, the culture of death, as I called it, on the left, started targeting and harassing the Supreme Court. You know, the danger of a leak like that, especially in a sensitive case, is that it incentivizes uh, people to try to kill justices. Because unless the, uh, the, uh, the opinion is finalized, it's still nothing. So you, if you have a 5-4 decision, for instance, uh, attacking one of the justices or incapacitating, incapacitating or killing them uh, could result in the decision being changed or the outcome being changed. And so the left started protesting outside the homes of Supreme Court justices in violation of federal law. Federal law prohibits individuals from protesting and trying to pressure uh, federal court justices, uh, judges and justices on matters before the court. Obviously, it's an intimidation campaign in violation of the law. Now, Garland's Justice Department has refused to enforce the law in that regard. The Biden White House has encouraged these protests outside of the homes of justices, even though they are illegal, intimidatory, and carry with them the air of violence. And just this week, it turns out that a... uh, Uh, A disturbed individual came all the way from California to Maryland to where Justice Kavanaugh lives uh, with a gun and other equipment to try to kill Kavanaugh. And he was also planning suicide. Now, thankfully, the police um, uh, stopped it because the guy said, look, I want to kill Kavanaugh. He called police on himself. He was suicidal. And if there wasn't security outside of Kavanaugh's home initially, who knows what would have happened. So we had this intimidation campaign, this attack on the Supreme Court, and sure enough, as not, surely as night follows day, you had a, a, a attempted assassination of a Supreme Court justice. Now, what should be done? Obviously, those who continue to protest outside the homes of the Supreme Court justices should be arrested. It's not enough to provide security. You know, and and those of us here in D.C., you know, these justices are our neighbors. And just don't think if you're a leftist, oh, don't worry about it. Those are only those nasty conservatives that need to be concerned about. Oh, no, all justices should be nervous about this. And uh, if I were the court, again, I would release immediately uh, the uh, majority opinion, which evidently is still the majority opinion, and just get it out there to take this deadly pressure off the sitting justices. 
Because as I said, if you kill one of these justices or they die in an untimely way, the final result can be changed. And that is a perverse and dangerous incentive. Uh, also, the court should uh, release and update the American people on its investigation. What's going on? Are justices cooperating with it? Are clerks cooperating with it? Now, internally, so, well, supposedly internally, the, just, the Supreme Court is investigating this. Uh, the, uh, I think it's the clerk of the court or the marshal of the court, excuse me, uh, was tasked with chief, by Chief Justice Roberts with investigating this. Now, you know, that's kind of a politicized investigation in the sense that, I don't mean it in the traditional uh, way, but in the kind of the core issue, is that, you know, these, uh, the Chief Justice doesn't have power in the traditional sense that you might think that flows from his title. He is uh, the first among equals on the court. So the other justices may not want to cooperate or clerks, I don't know what the legal process is to require their cooperation or other court personnel. What's going on there? So, I mean, we've had hearings this week. Um, the kangaroo court uh, put on by the Pelosi rump operation, the rump 1-6 operation, is talking about the attack on democracy and sedition and, and, and all of that in their really continued impeachment effort against Trump and all of his supporters. And in the meantime, we have this coordinated effort to attack the Supreme Court of the United States, one of our three branches of government, and uh, it's not only attacking the court, it's obviously attacking our constitutional system and our constitutional republic. And it's ongoing and it's being endorsed by the Biden administration. Uh, the, the Justice Department is complicit in refusing to enforce the law that would protect uh, these justices. And even the Senate, I think they passed 100 to nothing, a bill that would increase the security and expand security protections uh, to uh, the family of Supreme Court justices, the families of Supreme Court justices, because they typically aren't covered. And Nancy Pelosi's house has refused to move on it. It's been weeks. So these are dangerous times. Now, Judicial Watch is conducting independent investigations, but we're afraid what's going to happen in the meantime. This is a law enforcement issue. Uh, my understanding is, based on a report, I, I think it was the Washington Post that reported, after this guy called the police on himself, uh, it took the police seven minutes to get to him. Who knows what could have happened in that seven minutes? Where Kavanaugh's family was reportedly at home when the guy showed up outside of his house with a bag full of equipment, including a weapon, to try to kill him. So uh, these are dangerous times for our republic. Uh, and of course, there are going to be other big opinions coming down from the court, including an opinion on uh, Second Amendment issues that most observers expect to expand Second Amendment protections, opinions on religious rights issues that are also going to be controversial. Who knows? Also, there's expected opinions on race-based admission policies in Harvard and such. Judicial Watch has amicus um, filings there, friend of court brief filings there. So the left has lots of reasons to be agitated. And uh, now, now the court is under attack in a way that's never been under attack in modern history. And uh, I encourage you uh, to write letters to the editor, communicate with your members of Congress specifically about the security issues. 
uh, demand investigations by Congress into this leak and into the Justice Department's failure to protect the justices. And uh, we should be just be pushing this issue in a dramatic way uh, because uh, the stakes are so high for the future of our great nation. Now, on the other hand, uh, however upsetting these attacks are, uh, the likelihood is that the Supreme Court will overturn Roe versus Wade, uh, barring you know some outrageous attack on the court or uh, something uh, odd happening. You know, so to, so despite this terrible attack on the court, you know the good news remains uh, that it is likely that the court is still going to overturn Roe versus Wade. And if that happens, it will be a dramatic day and go down in history in a positive way uh, for the American nation. Because the states, once again, will be able to uh, pass laws uh, that will provide protections uh, and provide the right to life uh, to unborn human beings who are subjected to being killed as a result of the abortion culture of death that uh, the court has previously illicitly and unconstitutionally imposed on the nation. And that could be upended, and it's likely to be upended. And what a day that will be, because millions of lives will begin to be saved. And uh, so uh, these are dangerous times, but also uh, potentially glorious times for our Republican uh, virtues uh, that um, uh, mean that the right to life of individuals are to be protected. Uh, so uh, Judicial Watch obviously has been involved in this case. We filed briefs and such. Uh, so pray for our court, but demand accountability from our politicians who refuse to protect the court and are attacking the rule of law in, uh, in the way that, the, frankly, the communist revolutionaries operate and have operated uh, since they have uh, came onto the scene you know, over 100 years ago. Uh, and of course, the leftist revolution uh, approach to using violence to get their ways politically has been around for centuries. Uh, next up is, uh, I want to talk about the January 6th committee hearings that took place this uh, week. Now remember, it's in an illegitimate operation. Uh, there are no Republicans appointed by the minority. So it's a one-party operation that is the hallmark of totalitarian states. Uh, but the uh, media, of course, is all in on this. Uh, they provided unprecedented coverage to the kangaroo court proceedings uh, at, uh, that were held for 90 minutes. I mean, that tells you what a fake hearing it was. It was 90 minutes. They really didn't have any substantive questions. It was all just propaganda. And, uh, and of course, uh, par for the course, they engaged in uh, uh, fraudulent representations of what happened on January 6th. And of course, their goal is to uh, not only uh, undermine uh, President Trump, who's a, who is the putative candidate uh, against uh, Biden or whoever the Democrats nominate uh, to replace Biden. Biden if he doesn't run, uh, but it's also an attack on you. If you're concerned about elections, their thinking is you should be suppressed and, where possible, jailed. So uh, we've got the Justice Department, for instance, refusing to protect the Supreme Court from illegal activity 
while going to town against people like Peter Navarro, a Trump aide who was just outrageously indicted uh, for refusing to cooperate by asserting privilege uh, in uh, with this uh, one six uh, rump committee, as I call it. And when you look up the word rump in this context, I don't mean rump in the uh, vulgar sense of the term. I mean rump in the sense of a of a, a invalid uh, portion of a body uh, that doesn't have. Uh, really any authority uh, in any traditional sense of the word or any lawful authority or or moral authority so uh, I don't I don't know what the left expects to get from these hearings other than to uh, advance their efforts to interfere with elections which is to stop efforts uh, specifically to better secure elections and frankly stop questions about what happened in 2020 I mean, we have a right to ask questions about our elections, about how they were run and how they will be run in the future. Now, I hope YouTube doesn't censor me again uh, for talking about the elections of 2020, but you know, we just had a whole hearing on it. And it's pretty clear uh, that YouTube and uh, the left in the media are doing the uh, uh, partisan favors uh, for the Democrats and the left who want to outlaw criticism of the way the elections were run. And one of the big words that they use, which is, I think, false, is they describe the efforts to, quote, overturn the elections. Now, I'm not aware of Trump or anyone in Congress, or frankly, anyone who was significantly involved in this issue, who wanted to, quote, overturn any election. No one wants to overturn elections. That would be obviously anti-constitutional and something to be frowned upon. I mean, what was his issue was whether or not that Trump and others uh, could use federal and constitutional law and state law uh, to uh, try to get the result that they thought was the correct and lawful one uh, vindicated. And the way you can do that is not only in the courts, but in the court of public opinion. And ultimately, when it comes to uh, uh, the presidential contest in Congress, because Congress has to kind of bless uh, the uh, electoral college votes and the electoral counts. And that's what the issue was. So the idea that one side, you can't debate that issue is, is obviously absurd, especially since the left repeatedly challenged election results in past years. So I just talk about this to highlight the dishonesty of what's going on, and also to highlight, as a segue, the fact that you know for all the noise you're hearing about January 6th, that Judicial Watch is actually doing the legitimate investigation on January 6th. I, I joked on Twitter earlier this week that maybe Judicial Watch should hold its own January six hearings. What do you think of that? Uh, we just uncovered new documents about the shooting death of Ashley Babbitt uh, that are quite extraordinary and I encourage you to go to our website and review them directly because I don't know if I can get them all. Uh, 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 you know, I can't obviously discuss every jot and tittle of them. Uh, but the documents include, uh, and Judicial Watch's Federal Freedom of Information Act lawsuit forced the release of these documents. They weren't voluntarily disclosed of a DJ, the DOJ memo that declined the criminal prosecution for Ashley Babbitt's shooter. And uh, there are some extraordinary, revel extraordinary revelations in that. The documents reveal that, um, that obviously, as we said before, Byrd refused to provide a statement. 
but actually was allowed to provide an informal uh, uh, discussion or informal uh, recitation of what went on during a tour of the site with his lawyer. I mean, imagine another police officer involved in this type of shooting getting that type of uh, kid club treatment. It wouldn't have happened. Now, to go back in time here, or to kind of get the facts out there, Ashley Babbitt was shot as she was crawling through a window by Lieutenant Byrd. And Byrd just popped out, shot, uh, shot her. Uh, she wasn't told to stop. Supposedly, there were the general yelling about get back, get back. But he came out and shot her without warning. She wasn't uh, armed. She wasn't uh, uh, she didn't have a weapon in her hand. She was crawling through a window. They found subsequently that she had a, a, a pocket knife in her in her pants. But obviously, that wasn't a factor in the shooting. So it was a bad shooting. It was an unjustified shooting. And so the DOJ in this memo bends over backwards to uh, try to pretend that what Byrd did was fine and that his lack of cooperation and the fact that even they didn't even bring together a grand jury to investigate this. Why not? This is what the overview and recommendation reads in this declination memo. This memorandum recommends that the United States Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia decline for criminal prosecution the fatal shooting of Ashley McEntee, and that was her uh, maiden name. The declination is based on a review of law enforcement and civilian eyewitness accounts, physical evidence, recorded radio communication, cell phone footage, MPD reports, Metropolitan Police Department of D.C., forensic reports, and the autopsy report for Ms. McEntee. After a thorough review of the facts and circumstances, there is insufficient evidence to prove, to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Byrd violated Ms. McEntee's civil rights by willfully using more force than was reasonably necessary or was not acting in self-defense or the defense of others. Byrd panicked. He shot this woman. He shot blindly into a crowd of people. As Judicial Watch uncovered in other, video, in other documents and videos, you had other police officers on the other side of the door coming up behind Babbitt when she was shot. And of course, there were other people who were milling about behind Babbitt, those demonstrators who also could have been killed. Inappropriate. All three service officers, according to the memo, uh, who were around that area, including Byrd, had their service pistols drawn, pointed them in the direction of the barricaded entry doors, and repeatedly instructed the mob to get back. The mob of demonstrators ignored the officers' commands and continued to break the glass on the doors in their attempt to breach the speaker's lobby. Suddenly, Ashley McEntee began to crawl through one of the doors where the glass was already broken out. As she was climbing through the door, Byrd stepped forward from his tactical position towards Ms. McEntee and fired one round from his service pistol, striking uh, McEntee in her left shoulder just below the clavicle. Ms. McEntee then fell back from the doorway and onto the floor. I tell you, that's, that's something out of the Democratic uh, rump committee. I mean, the Pelosi January 6th committee couldn't have written anything more favorable to the Pelosi police officer who killed an unarmed civilian for no good reason.
Now, what's really interesting is uh, Byrd uh, did not create any police reports or documents relating to the incident and did not provide an official statement regarding use of force, though he did, quote, voluntarily debrief and walk through uh, the scene with his lawyer. Now, incredibly, there's a, a, a evidence bag that Byrd signed off on that's missing. So this is what we found. He didn't write the report. He was allowed to voluntarily debrief, which is obviously um, a favor. And evidence went missing that he was responsible for. No harm, according to the Justice Department. And of course, the police department of Nancy Pelosi did nothing about this shooting either. This is what Byrd said, according to the report in his voluntary debrief. Byrd heard glass breaking and saw some of the items used to barricade the, barricade the doors being pushed down. Bur, uh, Lieutenant Byrd continued to tell the rioters to get back, get back. Byrd then saw a rioter with a backpack on start to climb through one of the broken glass doors. Byrd saw the rioter, quote, as a threat. So he stepped forward from his tactical position and fired one round at the, at the rioter. The rioter fell back out of the opening and Byrd eventually stepped back into the seated area of the speaker's lobby before confirming to other officers that arrived on the scene that he was the one that fired the service weapon. Incredible. No charges, no significant questioning. Uh, the fact remains, Ashley Babbitt was unarmed. The officers around Bird saw, saw that he was, she was unarmed. Bird provided no specific warning uh, to Babbitt. Babbitt did not uh, present a threat to Bird directly or even indirectly at the time she was killed. And the only homicide that happened on January 6th was the killing of Ashley Babbitt, an unarmed civilian who was a 14-year veteran of our armed forces. And also, which I think is very interesting in this document, uh, there's a use of force history that Byrd had an issue with. Byrd had one prior use of force matter that was originally sustained by the U.S. Capitol Police, but after Lieutenant Byrd appealed, he was found not guilty by the Disciplinary Review Board. Boy, I'd like more details on that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't the media? Wouldn't Congress? But because, Bur because Babbitt was of the wrong political class, it's okay. When you look what happened in the prosecution of Floyd, uh, uh, George Floyd, and uh, when you look at the attacks on the police for uh, 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 shooting individuals and the war on the police, and then you see the left protect Byrd because he shot the right po political person, unnecessarily, it shows you just how politicized our law enforcement has become and how corrupt the Congress is that they are allowed the, their police force to operate with such impunity. Something else that's very interesting is that, uh, and of course wasn't discussed by uh, the January 6th uh, rump operation is that uh, this declination memos uh, details that Byrd said that um, 
due to COVID-19 and other issues, the normal staffing for a joint session was less than half of what Lieutenant Byrd usually had assigned to the House chamber. Think about that. So they had these, due to COVID-19, I'm not sure if they were the restrictions or people were out sick. I don't think there were people out sick. There's no indication of that. But they had half of the, of the people they normally would have had there for security. And of course, if they had better security, they wouldn't have had this unrest. They wouldn't have had this disturbance. Because there wasn't enough security, because there wasn't troops, National Guard troops there and things like that, you uh, had the police uh, take actions that, uh, frankly, uh, riled the crowd up, and some in the crowd saw an opportunity to cause trouble. But when you've got the necessary security, riots and disturbances uh, can be mitigated or uh, uh, frankly it's just you know they don't even begin so this is big information that judicial watch has uncovered again doing more and thorough and honest work than anything the january 6th committee is doing so the big headlines here are uh, lieutenant bird was treated with kid gloves by the justice department evidence in the ashley babbitt uh killing uh, evidence that bird was responsible for has gone missing Another side information that came out was that um, uh, there was a New York Times reporter, and it's unnamed, who was acting as a confidential witness for one of the January 6th prosecutions or investigations. Isn't that interesting? I thought the media was supposed to be neutral on these matters, but they're happy evidently to cooperate with the Justice Department to get one of those January 6th people, right? Incredible. Also, what was very interesting is they gave us a draft press release, which is unusual because typically we don't get draft press releases. We've litigated about whether we should get draft press releases, and the Justice Department's position has been no, you don't get them. Uh, but they had talked about in this press release announcing their decision not to prosecute Byrd. In the original, uh, they used the term crowd repeatedly or group. And throughout there, they deleted and substituted the word mob for crowd and group. Again, showing the politics behind this um, effort to protect Byrd. And so uh, this is uh, just, again, part of the many January 6th documents that Judicial Watch has been able to under, under, uh, uncover, uh, not only on the Babbitt shooting, uh, where we are done more than anyone to uncover the information, but uh, multiple uh, records from the FBI and the National Park Service, but records also from the Park Service, uh, the U.S. Park Service that showed that uh, the feds and others knew there was going to be a big crowd at the Capitol, and obviously there was not sufficient security. Of course, this is the sort of thing that, you know, an honest congressional investigation would be uncovering because I was concerned, and we still should be concerned, do they have competent and good security on Capitol Hill? I don't think they do. I don't think the Secret Service uh, gives good security to the White House. I mean, they had the president have to go into a bunker because of the leftist protesters that were threatening to overwhelm security around the White House at one point. I witnessed it firsthand during an event at the White House where they threw the crowd out into the street where all these leftists were out there yelling and intimidating people. It was terrible. And if that crowd had decided to rush the entrances and the gates, the White House would have been breached. 
So we've got serious security measures and, you know, or security concerns. And the irony is the left isn't interested in that. What they're interested in doing is they're trying to use this disturbance as an excuse, as I say, to suppress uh, the um, expression of First Amendment protected speech on election matters. And if it means covering up the death of Ashley Babbitt and minimizing it and not giving her justice, uh, they're willing to do that as well. So I don't care what the Rump Committee is going to do, what Nancy Pelosi Committee is going to do. I do know that Judicial Watch is going to continue with the heavy lifting to expose the full truth as best as we're able under the law about what happened on January 6th, which is as much about not only what happened on January 6th in terms of the disturbance, but the cover-up. For instance, we're in court right now. We're waiting for a ruling from the court about Nancy Pelosi's Congress's uh, refusal to turn over any of the January 6th videos under uh, the government's, uh, excuse me, the public's right to know about what the government's up to. The common law right of public access to government documents. Nancy Pelosi doesn't want to turn over her Congress one second of January 6th videos. One email about what her police and security people were doing. So you've got this unprecedented cover-up, while at the same time, Pelosi and her allies in the Biden Justice Department are seeking to jail people for asserting privileges that are constitutional in refusing to cooperate with that rump committee. So, you know, Judicial Watch, uh, we just don't talk, we act. And our Constitution's under attack, not only from this committee, but from other agencies of the Biden administration, and uh, we're gonna do our best to hold them to account and protect the rule of law. Uh, speaking of elections, uh, Judicial Watch filed what I think could be an historic election uh, case uh, against the state of Illinois to stop the counting of ballots after Election Day, which, as you know, is a major controversy. In Illinois, they allow the counting of ballots that arrive after Election Day, some of which are undated, or even if they are undated, for up to 14 days after Election Day which our lawsuit alleges is in violation of federal law and violates the constitutional rights of our clients, who include voters and a candidate and current member of Congress, Congressman Mike Bost, B-O-S-T. We represent him and two other uh, registered Illinois voters. And what we're trying to do is to stop election officials from unconstitutionally extending election day to two weeks after the election. Judicial Watch argues that Illinois uh, violates federal law, which defines Election Day as the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November of every even-numbered year. And despite Congress's clear statement regarding a single national Election Day, Illinois has expanded Election Day, our lawsuit alleges, by extending by 14 days the date for receipt and counting of vote-by-mail ballots. Judicial Watch points out that the current Election law allows vote-by-mail ballots received up to 14 days after the polls close on Election Day to be counted as if they were cast and received on or before Election Day, which obviously shows its um, uh, illicit legality. Illinois law also provides that even vote-by-mail ballots without postmarks shall be counted if received up to 14 calendar days after Election Day if the ballots are dated on or before Election Day. The lawsuit notes that the board um, 
uh, advised that the number of ballots, for instance, received after Election Day through November 17, 2020, which was like two days, two weeks, excuse me, after uh, the 2020 election, uh, could materially affect the unofficial election results. Illinois' own data indicates Illinois received 266,417 um, vote-by-mail ballots statewide during the period from November 3rd through the November 17th. Most of those ballots were received after Election Day, which would mean that as many as 4.4% of the votes cast in 2020 were uh, received after Election Day. It's a big deal. By counting untimely and illegal ballots received after Election Day and diluting our clients' uh, timely cast and received ballots, defendants acting under color of Illinois law have deprived and are depriving our clients of their rights protected under the First Amendment and the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. And as I said, we're supposed to have an Election Day, not an Election Week or an Election Month. Illinois' 14th day, 14-day extension of Election Day be beyond the date of Congress, set by Congress is illegal and violates the civil rights of voters and encourages fraud. And I would add undermines confidence in the outcome of elections that are decided by votes that allow, that are counted, that uh, come in after election day, contrary to federal law. So again, as others, uh, you know, there's this debate about uh, what election law should be. And Judicial Watch is trying to vindicate the rule of law in court. And um, I hope we're successful here uh, because this is an issue that not only is involved in Illinois, or concerns Illinois, but other states uh, play this game as well. I mean, in Pennsylvania, you were they were counting ballots for weeks after Election Day. Very controversial. And again, it undermines confidence in the legitimacy of elections uh, when they engage in this type of illicit activity. And as a reminder, this is just one of many Judicial Watch lawsuits uh, trying to protect the rule of law in elections. We have lawsuits to clean up election rolls. We just ended a lawsuit in North Carolina, for instance, after they agreed to clean up over 400 plus thousand names from their rolls. We have ongoing litigation in Pennsylvania and Colorado. The clean election rolls there. In Maryland, we filed a successful lawsuit to force the radical uh, extreme gerrymander uh, uh, to be thrown out by a court. And following that victory, uh, the Democrats in New York lost uh, in another court fight over their extreme gerrymander that uh, was designed to rig elections there too. And the court in deciding that case pointed to our court case in Maryland as a precedent. And more is coming, believe you me, more is coming. So I said there's a lot been going on in the last few weeks at Judicial Watch, including some incredible new documents that, uh, you know, we all talk about what happened in the Wuhan lab, right? And all the concerns about gain-of-function research and other types of dangerous research in China. And then there were debates about what was going on in Ukraine. Well, you know, Judicial Watch has uncovered very concerning documents about what's going on here in the United States. 
We talked about biolab safety documents that we had gotten that show that uh, there was a dangerous activity or accidents got taking place in biolabs here in the United States that could put the public potentially at risk and, and people in the labs at risk at least. We've just uncovered now dozens of records of illegal molecular research reported at NIH. And what do I mean by molecular research? It means uh, cases involving, uh, research involving um, recombinant or synthetic nucleic acid uh, molecules uh, that were conducted here in the United States without proper approval and in violation of National Institutes of Health guidelines. Again, this isn't going on in Wuhan. This isn't going on in Ukraine. This isn't going on in Russia. This is going on in a place probably near your home. Recombinant or synthetic nucleic acid molecules are constructed outside of living cells. The molecules are made by joining DNA or RNA segments, natural or synthetic, to DNA or RNA segments, uh, molecules that can replicate within a living cell. They may also see, uh, may also result from replication of previously constructed uh, uh, molecules. So you know they can read them at their all. Uh, they may, they create some of these out of whole cloth more or less, and then obviously uh, they can follow up with more research beyond that. Now, NIH guidelines detail safety practices and containment procedures for basic and clinical research involving uh, this type of research, including the creation and use of organisms and viruses containing recombinant or synthetic nucleic acid molecules. And this obviously covers gain-of-function research. And these guidelines require that any significant problems, violations, or any significant research-related accidents or illnesses be reported to NIH within 30 days. The documents, in addition to highlighting that some of this was done without proper authorization, also show that the research led to dozens of dangerous mishaps, accidents, and spills at these biosafety labs. Now, the Wuhan Institute was, for instance, a bio-level uh, lab that was at a, a safety level at four. These labs are doing similarly dangerous research, but their biosafety levels are one, two, and three. So they're not as safe, though doing similarly dangerous research. So we filed a FOIA request asking NIH for these records. You know, we're smart. We know what to ask for. We've got experts who know what they're doing on staff. Nearly 100 incidents were reported to NIH through their email system. For instance, in an email on February 12, 2020, a biosafety officer at the University of Nebraska reports an incident that began in March 2018 in which Dr. Shi Hua Zhang created an HIV, HIV is the virus that causes AIDS, pseudovirus containing Marburg glycoprotein M78 in a university biosafety level two laboratory for which he did not have authorization. The incident was discovered during a pathogen inventory and Zhang was told to cease any further work. It was determined that Zhang was assisted by student volunteers and that the experiment had continued until enough virons were created to complete the experiments that were testing novel peptide inhibitors of viral entry. The report states that Zhang completed the NIH training guidelines in 12, 2012, 2018, and 2019 on responsibility. So he knew better. 
He was trained on this, yet he did it anyway. Another email from um, the chairman of the Memorial Sloan Kettering's Cancer Center in New York, the Big Apple. He reported an incident at his facility where an investigator was conducting unauthorized research constructing, constructing recombinant modified vaccine Ankara, expressing spike proteins from SARS, COVID-2 in violation of NIH guidelines. So we've got this terrible virus and they're messing with it in violation of the law. Upon discovery, the investigator was ordered to immediately halt the unapproved research. So they had developed the viruses, and according to the investigation, they found that they needed to be destroyed immediately. Another incident, an incident at uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Biosafety, uh, a biosafety level three lab incident involved uh, research being bitten by a mouse infected with SARS. COVID-2, 2AA, I guess it's a variant. The incident occurred on April 21st, 2020. That led to a 14-day quarantine. So it shows you that there's danger in just working on this stuff. And uh, you could have these accidents that happen where no one's court is at fault. Maybe there's a safety issue that can be otherwise stopped. But when you mess with this stuff, when you're involved in this dangerous research, incidents like this can happen. You're working with living, orga living organisms. You've got, in this case, a mouse. They're bite. You dealt with mice, they're not as pleasant as the cartoon show. They're nasty little things sometimes. Heck, they're sick with SARS, right? So we have incident after incident. Ohio State University, there was an incident. But Dr. Sean Lee Liu had conducted unauthorized research in a biosafety level two lab uh, developing a, pseudo, a pseudotyped lentivirus, L-E-N-T-I virus, containing the gene encoding, again, for the SARS-CoV vaccine, uh, protein, excuse me. Research was in violation of NIH guidelines. New York Medical College in Valhalla, New York, They were submitting false reports uh, back in um, April 2019 saying certain investigations or uh, experiments were not happening, when in fact they were. So they were lying. They were injecting mice with some dangerous, you know, I'm not gonna go through the detail of uh, what they were injecting the mice with, but it, it looks awful. And once the mice had the, uh, the, the adenoviral vectors in, injected, well, they had to be um, uh, quarantined, more or less, in the lab because uh, for 48 hours due to the potential for shedding the virus. Uh, what was going on here? Central Florida, another incident. Another incident, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. So this is pretty big stuff. Americans deserve to know just how much illegal research is being conducted in their country without any government oversight whatsoever. 
So these reports are all after the fact. There's no, I don't know what punishments occurred as a result of this illegal research. These records appear to show that viruses uh, that are potentially worse than COVID-19 are being illegally created in labs in our own country. And again, this is another example of Judicial Watch doing the basic investigative work through FOIAs, FOIA lawsuits that Congress refuses to do, that the media has zero interest in doing because they have a radical agenda on COVID that has nothing to do with um, uh, making sure that those who potentially are putting American people at risk, whether it be here or in China or anywhere else, are held accountable. So this is dangerous stuff, and we're doing the work that no one else wants to do. I mean, I fear, I mean, looking at these documents, I, I can't tell you for sure that COVID didn't originate in the United States. Now, others may suggest that's a spunk, you know, given the way it kind of spread out of China. I don't know, you know. Look, they've been lying to us. They, they told us we weren't allowed to say anything. Uh, literally, if I were saying anything about COVID being man-made in China, I would have been taken down by the big tech censors. And it turns out there were concerns about that and it's still an open question. So you can presume, in my view, you should presume the worst and don't presume that the government is telling you the truth about anything. Not because I think there's a gray, and, well, I do think there is a conspiracy protect their own. So more is coming. We have ongoing lawsuits about these types of records. We're investigating what Fauci was up to, all sorts of things we're doing. And again, Judicial Watch is second to none in uncovering the truth about the issues of our age, including the most significant uh, uh, flu or pandemic event in, Amer in world history. I don't know if it's world history. I guess the Black Plague was a lot worse, which I guess is one of the part of the debate. Maybe it wasn't the biggest event in world history. The whole point is, obviously, it affected billions of people. And we're asking tough questions about vaccines, about COVID policies, about how this virus originated, and about whether or not the American people are still at risk as a result of these arrogant scientists who think they can do anything they want without being checked all of whom seem to have a friend in Dr. Fauci. So I could go on and on about this, but uh, I'm, we're deadly serious about this, you can be sure. So one of the other major threats to uh, the American way of life and our constitutional system is this critical race theory, this Marxist theory uh, that seeks to upend our constitutional system. And it's, part, it's a revolutionary concept uh, that smears America as systematically racist and uh, they want to indoctrinate our children with this repackaged Marxism. And uh, we are uh, fighting tooth and nail to expose what's going on, to try to protect those who object and uh, uh, preserve the rule of law that is under attack from the radical Marxist left in this nation. And it includes a lawsuit on behalf of Coach, uh, Coach Flynn, Mike Flynn, who was fired, let me start over, I got his name wrong. And it includes a lawsuit on behalf of Coach David Flynn, I guess he's a former coach, or at least a former high school f coach, who was fired in Massachusetts after complaining about this BLM, uh, CRT type propaganda in his daughter's ancient history class. 
I mean, that shows you how crazed they are. There's nothing that's protected. So he went and complained to the school district, and he got fired as the school district uh, high school uh, football coach in Dean of Massachusetts, and we filed a civil rights lawsuit for him. And unfortunately, the court just dismissed it. I don't understand the court's decision. In the opinion dismissing Flynn's lawsuit, she stated multiple times that Flynn exercised his First Amendment right to freedom of speech when he raised his concerns to the city school committee. This is what she found. A reasonable jury could find that Flynn's criticisms were directed at what he perceived to be the school district's repeated failures to adequately inform parents of the changes to the school district's curriculum and values to address his daughter's concerns. A reasonable jury could find that Flynn's email was sent in his capacity as a parent to the person who convened the meeting, and this is the meeting in which he complained, and in Flynn's view, did so with no intention of working through the issues Flynn had raised regarding the curriculum and the teacher's use of the BLM emoji. So the teacher was running a virtual program, I guess, or a school uh, uh, class, and you know she had BLM logo emojis on, on uh, for the students. A reasonable jury could therefore find that Flynn's speech was not related to his position as a head football coach, and he spoke predominantly as a concerned parent parent. The court accordingly concludes that a reasonable jury could find that Flynn's speech was protected speech, which is the whole point of the lawsuit. The right to express such disagreement is at the core value protected by the free speech clause of the First Amendment. Despite that, though, then the court kind of jumped and said that Flynn could be fired because of his criticism of the school superintendent. So the highest appointed official in the school district is immune from criticism from a parent who could be retaliated against by firing, according to this court. Gosh darn it, even the letter firing him makes no reference to his criticism, which was not really all that strong, of the superintendent. Really confused decision in my view. In one assignment, this is the underlying issue, Flynn's daughter was asked to consider various risk factors and mitigating factors that two people, one identified as white and the other identified as black, purportedly might use to assess each other on a city street. So there were all these racially charged categories and terms that they were being used to assign to blacks and whites. For instance, police officer was among the risk factors reportedly assessed by the person identified as black. I mean, with all this anti-police, racially charged propaganda in, her, in, her child, in his child's class, and he went and complained about it, and he got fired. He followed the rules, he complained about it, as is his God-given right under our Constitution, and as confirmed by our Constitution, and he got fired. So we've appealed this decision, and uh, we'll see what happens. But Coach Flynn isn't giving up. He has strong support in the town, and I know his former players and parents and such were, fu- were fu- furious that he was fired. But this is what's going on. You say the wrong thing, you get fined, you get fired, it doesn't matter. There was a Washington Post reporter who retweeted something. He's a leftist. I don't think much of his reporting. He's an activist. But he got suspended without pay for the Washington Post for retweeting a silly joke. I'm just told the defensive coordinator 
uh, for the Washington football team. I don't even want to say its name since they're part of the politically correct attack on America by changing their original name from the Redskins. He was complaining about Black Lives Matter violence and comparing and contrasting it with the uh, media and cultural accession on January 6th. And he was just fined for expressing his views there. But if you come out and support a Black Lives Matter, which is a demonstrated record of engaging in violence, it's okay with the NFL. It's okay with all these big leads, this, these uh, big sports leagues. This is one reason I don't watch the NFL anymore. It sometimes kills me because I want to watch a Ravens game now and again. But you know, if you're trying to destroy the country, I'm just not going to watch your game. So this is a major issue. They're attacking our children in our schools. They're, this is going on in the military. We have incredible material coming out on that. And obviously, uh, the CRT, this, this, this racialized Marxist attack on our systems, is uh, the guiding light, the controlling agenda for the entire Biden administration and federal government. And of course, the corporations have signed on on this. And uh, this could undo the country and destroy our republic. And we're going to fight it any way we can under the law. And we're going to keep on fighting in court. We're going to keep investigating and exposing what's going on. We're going to try to protect our kids, protect their parents, and frankly, protect our military and our society at large from this attack on constitutional government that's supposedly supposed to treat everyone equal under the law as opposed to attacking people based on race and other inappropriate characteristics. So a lot going on here at Judicial Watch. I covered it all. I'm glad to be back here reporting to you. And more, as I say, is always coming. And I encourage you to support Judicial Watch. You know, I went through today some extraordinary material that no one else in the country is able to uncover. We're not only the leading government watchdog group here in the United States, we're the leading government watchdog group as a result in the world. And I encourage you to join our movement, join our cause, and support Judicial Watch by going to judicialwatch.org and uh, donating. You can do it on Facebook, all the other places we're at. Uh, but uh, you should not only be sharing and spreading the word and the information that we uncover at Judicial Watch and educating your fellow Americans and family members, uh, but I encourage you to support our work directly with a financial contribution. Uh, now, just do it now. Don't wait. Do it now. Uh, judicialwatch.org. Click on the donate button. And, um, and I can tell you, and I will thank you ahead of time for your generous support. And those of you who are currently supporting our work, who have supported it in the past, this shows you uh, your donations have a consequence that helps protect the darn country. So thank you very much. And I'll see you here next time on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. Thanks for listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. For more information, visit www.judicialwatch.org because no one is above the law.